Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Now it's time for more on the Trump front. To talk about Donald Trump's ruling passions, we turn to David Bromwich. He teaches English at Yale. He writes about politics mostly for the London Review of Books and the New York Review. And his most recent book is The Intellectual Life of Edmund Burke. David Bromwich, welcome to the program. Good to be here. Well, you open your new piece for The Nation saying, nothing new and useful can be said about Donald Trump. Close quote. That's certainly a bold move. What did we know about Trump before the election? When did we know it? Well, I think people who had been reading about Trump uh, as a millionaire real estate magnate, as a playboy who liked to be in the pages of tabloids, as a you know reality television show host, and as a uh, you know leader of the birther movement, uh, social media. Uh, and uh, talk radio end of that against Obama, knew that he was a, a dabbler in uh, right-wing populist politics recently, you know, over the last uh, roughly uh, eight or nine years, and that before that he'd simply been a very rich man who had exploited all opportunities to make money in real estate, had gone bankrupt, and had a reputation for corruption uh, equaled by almost nobody as famous in that business. So what I start off saying in the piece for the nation is that it's his fame as a corrupt businessman uh, that seems most important. And then his uh, uh, his record at the medium short record as a political opportunist. The new things, I suppose, that I have in mind that people are wanting to hear about him is that he is a deep dyed ideologist of some sort, or that he has a plan for reform of the world system, uh, or that he's trying to build up a uh, para-fascist organization within the United States, none of which is out of the realm of possibility, but none of which I think accurately describes what we know, and what we know is bad enough, uh, and it should be bad enough to uh, run an opposition against. You also say Trump's presidency is one continuous train wreck but his main goal has been accomplished. What do you have in mind here? 
Well, that refers to the ruling passions uh, that I speak of, the passion for money, for the acquisition of money, uh, and the passion for publicity. He uh, acquires more and more money if he can. He uses corrupt means to do so. He protects the corruption by demands for loyalty. And he loves, he craves, I think that's a verb that comes back again and again in many uh, people's descriptions of uh, Trump. He craves attention. The tweets and the concern with his Twitter following and the size of his audience at any given venue are part of that. It's not too much to say obsession with uh, publicity. All politicians, almost all, are preoccupied with questions about their popularity. Uh, Obama was too, for sure. But Trump, in in this need for constant attention and constant affirmation of the attention being paid to him, he's very much an outlier, very much an aberration. And you also have a wonderful quote from 25 years ago when Wayne Barrett, then of the Village Voice, wrote in his book about Trump that Trump was, quote, a wounded monster. Is there any reason to revise that view from 25 years ago? There's no reason. To my knowledge, that was a paraphrase of Wayne Barrett. But if you found it in quotation marks, uh, I leave it to you to back that up. But that's the picture of Trump. It's also the picture you get in David K. Johnston's book on Trump and, uh, you know, very likely in others like Tim O'Brien's that I have not read. You also wrote in The Nation, I quote, the idea that Trump is essentially a racist, essentially a fascist, essentially a misogynist, dies hard. I think a lot of our listeners would would challenge you on that. So please explain. Right. Well, misogynist is a sort of fancy Greek and Latinate word uh, for sexist, uh, I guess, for complicated reasons that have to do with academic politics. We don't use sexist anymore. Misogyny refers specifically to a hatred uh, of women, even to the point of a desire consistently to cause them pain. I think Trump is averse to women. Uh, He has the standard, you know, uh, person who can take advantage uh, attitude towards women in the very loose sense that used to be employed. He is a sexist. I don't think he much likes the company of women. I think initially it must have been shyness uh, that could describe it. Now it's uh, something much worse given his financial resources. But he doesn't much like men either. It's quite clear. So um, that, I mean, I had that sort of thing in mind. Fascist, let's leave to the side unless you want to pursue it. It becomes such an all-purpose word in American politics. It's hard to get a clear definition. But as to to racist, I felt a bit self-conscious about that disownment uh, after he said the most clearly racist thing he has said in his recorded career just over the last few days. Uh, between when that article was in proof (laughs) and when it appeared, the lines about Haiti and the lines about shithole countries in Africa that we shouldn't have people from. Yeah, I think Trump thinks that blacks are inferior to whites generally. He has, you know, some uh, African-American friends like Don King and others. He's not uh, averse to their company any more than he is to the company of women uh, when they're uh, on his side, more or less. I think he believes poor people are losers and a disproportionate number of black people are poor people and therefore losers. And he has the most ungenerous kind of contempt for losers. Uh, That's been part of uh, the Republican Party syndrome in this country for 40, 50 years, if not longer. 
goes back to their resistance to the New Deal, you could even say. But Trump has it in a particularly virulent form. And I think I, I would tend to see his racism as coming under that heading. But yes, in some in some very general sense, um, yeah, sure. If you can say, is this person a racist and half race prejudice, or is this person completely clear of that prejudice? Yeah, Trump comes on the racist side. But I don't think there's any percentage in trying to make a politics out of it. Again, it's just obvious. It's just what people could know quite some time ago from his uh, record of uh, uh, trying various deceptive uh, means for excluding uh, African-Americans from his rentals in New York. And that yeah. goes back to the 70s. He paid a settlement to the government for that, to HUD and its lawyers. But, uh, the, you know, there was, a, there was a, a gag that followed the terms of the settlement, something Trump has been very clever to raging up and down his career. He pays a lot out in settlements, uh, but he also buys the silence of his opponents. Just a couple of days ago, Trump said, quote, I'm not a racist. I couldn't help being an old white man myself, remembering I'm not a crook. It's the kind of denial that, that kind of suggests yes. the truth of what's being denied. Yes. Well, he is crazy. I'm using that old-fashioned word instead of pretending to analyze him from hundreds of miles away, as some people are misguidedly doing. He is, he's crazy in, the, in, in our oldest, commonest use of that term. Uh, an ordinary, a sane person doesn't say, I am a genius, and then say, I am a stable genius. That's just crazy. <laughs> yeah, you, don't, yeah. you don't do any of those things. And the comparison to Nixon interests me, um, because when we saw, uh, as we can't help having seen in recent days, you know, the endless quotation and requotation and requotation on CNN and elsewhere of his lines about those African countries. This was the sort of thing Nixon was capable of saying, especially in his uh, later years in office, in the second term especially, and did say. But Nixon said it, we only know now, confidentially, on tape. He didn't know that yes. tapes would get out to public view. And he said it in one-on-one -on -one meetings with people like Haldeman and Ehrlichman, people who were his assistants, or if you prefer, flunkies. Kissinger acted the part of, you know, benignly auditing flunky on some occasions and even didn't discourage Nixon's remarks about Jews. So Nixon was capable of talking that way, but never, even at his most unraveling, would Nixon have said it in a bipartisan, you know, important legislatively organizing meeting where he's, you know, with Democrats, with Republicans, and he knows, you know, from the pattern that this meeting is going to be publicized, that it is, in fact, a semi-public gathering. To say it in that company that freely, it's just a, betrays a complete lack of the capacity for self-censorship. I can only sigh in agreement. <clears throat> You're sighing at the, yeah, there really is nothing new. <laughs> In the LRB, you had a great argument recently. You wrote, Trump is the name of a cause and not just a person, and you can only fight him with another cause, close quote. Any suggestions? How about Medicare for all or tax the rich or free college tuition or a $15 minimum wage? I think you see where I'm coming from here. Yeah, uh, well, you're coming from roughly the Bernie Sanders corner of the Democratic yes. Party, which, yes. uh, as a financial contributor to his campaign and an admirer of him for his integrity, 
you know, I'm, I'm there too. Um, that's a miscellaneous set of positions, positions that, you know, let's say are identified with left-wing social democracy. And I think that the Sanders campaign and the misleading populist elements of the Trump campaign proved that there's much more of an open hearing available to those opinions than uh, most of the mainstream media and the, you know, central parts of both parties had acknowledged. But I don't think it amounts to a cause. The, the cause of, of Donald Trump is rooted in resentment, uh, resentment of the displacement of American workers by, it is thought, rightly or wrongly, immigrants, mostly south of the border, fear of terrorism, which Bush and Cheney played up enormously and which Obama did lamentably little to calm down in the eight years given to him to change our state of mind about that. Trump plays on that. And then there is also just the general, you know, encroaching feeling of almost despair about the future of jobs in this country. Those were all topics with the exception of immigration. Those were topics that Trump and Sanders oddly had in common. The grounds of comparison for them in places like the New York Times and Washington Post were, oh, they're both shouters. Oh, they both are. They gesticulate and they appeal to the irrational. Oh, how about looking at the actual politics? Since Sanders is a person of high IQ and, you know, estimable grasp of the issues he talks about, you know, Sanders was able to work out positions on this in clear paragraphs. He's a good speaker. Trump is not. Trump just works up emotions. He's a very effective, simple-minded demagogue whom people uh, can go to for the kind of simple solution that there's always a large audience for. But those are the kind of issues I think Democrats, uh, if they want to be an honest opposition and not a pretend resistance, whatever resistance means, and I regret the nation giving the, that whole series of articles the title of resistance, because resistance implies any kind of resistance. It implies we're an occupied country. We aren't that, not yet, not by a long shot. Who knows what it implies? Opposition is standing in the way of wrong policies that threaten the well-being of the people as you see it. And I think the Democrats should be much more than they are an anti-war party. Get us out of these wars five, six thousand miles away against enemies we only create more of by occupying more countries or funneling troops to counter terrorists who fight against them. And um, get us concentrated on rebuilding the infrastructure, things like that, which actually Trump mentioned. Uh, mentioned frequently and has done nothing about another illustration of his opportunism. I think uh, with what's been happening around Santa Barbara and Houston and Puerto Rico and many other places, climate change is coming in on us. It can't escape people's consciousness. And it should be the, the uh, duty of a responsible party to keep it in people's minds day after day. Don't worry about what Trump said on his tweet or how racist he was yesterday or the day before. Remind people that the planet is disintegrating and that Americans have it a little in our power to retard that horrible development. As to immigration, I think the Democrats have given up thinking about it. Uh, the Republican solutions are completely driven by xenophobia, but what they are is just is just protective and prophylactic. There's no thought that's gone into them. But the Democrats seem to think any amount of immigration probably pretty good because we are a nation of immigrants, et cetera, et cetera. Well, 
I, I don't think they've looked hard at that issue, and I don't think they've taken a very clear stand except to protect people against Trump's deportations. That merely negative position on immigration um, is an example of, I think, real uh, danger of thoughtlessness in the opposition party. Why? Because it's looking, it's looking to depose him by something that will come up in the Russia investigations <laughs> by a picked group of psychoanalysts who will decide he comes under a medical description. There's a lot of fantasy on the Democratic side, not insanity, but shortcuts that don't make any sense. David Bromwich, he wrote about Donald Trump's ruling passions for the new issue of The Nation magazine. Thank you, David. Thanks a lot. You've been listening to Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine. You can hear more interviews like this one at thenation.com, and you can subscribe to Start Making Sense at iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.